0: We are continuing our series of Advent this morning, so turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke 1 is where we're going to be in your Bibles or in your phones. Go ahead and turn to Luke 1. And once you're at Luke 1, let's go ahead and stand up for the reading of Scripture this morning. All right, Luke 1, verse 26. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and in the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Verse 36, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and grab a seat. I think it was probably five or or six years ago, I had this opportunity, and I didn't realize how special this opportunity was in the moment, but looking back on it, I realized just how unique this opportunity was. I had the chance to sit down with a Catholic bishop and ask him some questions about the Catholic faith, and I asked him, you know, of course, as an evangelical would, I asked him, why do you hold Mary with such esteem? with almost, in some cases, idolatrous reverence. Why? Now, I I expected in the moment to get some sort of technical theological answer about something that I'd missed in the text or hadn't seen before, or some sort of explanation of tradition around Mary that had developed over the centuries that I hadn't read about. But he paused, and with a, a fatherly voice of wisdom, he said this, Mary matters to us because she gave a yes to God that was big enough for him to inhabit. Mary matters to us because she gave a yes to God that was big enough for him to inhabit. Whoa. <laughs> I was like, what? Oh, uh, what? <laughs> he then said, Mary said yes, and the Messiah was the result. We look to her as the example of what surrender looks like. What he was saying is that in that response that Mary had here, I am the Lord's servant, may your word to me be fulfilled. In that response to God, God was able to move in and bring about his world in power. And my message is very simple this morning and actually quite short. Every human has the ability and the privilege to do what Mary did here. Every human, every one of you sitting in this room this morning has the ability and the privilege to do what Mary did here in this story. You see, um, our lives, the lives that we live, are not only determined by God's will. Hang on. <laughs> You're like, what? Hang on. Th- th- think of it this way. God is like a parent of a home. You know, a parent is in charge of a home. A mother or a father, they're in charge of that home. But not all things that happen in that home are the will of the parent, right? Right? especially if you have teenagers. Not all things that happen in this home are the will of the parent, but the parent is still in charge of that home, right? And so in our world, God is in search of a free will, correct response to him so that his will is done. You know, he tell, Jesus tells us to pray that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why would he ask us to pray that if his will was already gonna be done without our involvement? He's inviting us into partnership. And so the first thing that I want, I think this story shows us and what I want you to get this morning is that there is a correct response to God. There is a correct response to God. You know, recently I heard a critique that I'd, I'd never heard before, especially about a church like ours that has such a triumphant identity theology. But, but here's the critique that I recently received. Saints Hill talks about surrender too much. You guys talk about surrender too much. You sing about surrender, you preach about surrender, and whenever I hang with the people in the church, everybody's talking about surrender. And the critique goes like this If we're really in Christ the way, if our identity is really in Christ the way that Hebrews 9 through 10 and Romans 5 through 8 describe, then there is nothing for me to do but rest in God. He doesn't need anything from me. I actually think this was a really well-meaning critique, and it, it really made me think. I thought, you know, I, I read Hebrews 9 and 10 that way, the same way that they're talking about. I read Romans 5 through 8 the same way that they're talking about, and I could see how an overemphasis on the sacrifice of believers, on an, an overemphasis on the, the surrender of believers could somehow minimize the completeness of the sacrifice of Jesus, if we're always talking about the surrender and the sacrifice of believers, it could seem like, is that are we doing that to earn the love of God? Like, what's the relationship going there? Do you understand what I'm saying? But I think that this critique comes from a misreading, not necessarily of Hebrews and Romans, but of the entire story that the Bible is telling. See, the way that we do hermeneutics uh, is that our individual passages, those pet passages that we love, those, they're, they're like the jacuzzi passages. It's like, I need a jacuzzi, I, I'm, I've, been, I've been knocked around by the world, and I need to go sit in something. Those pet passages that we love must make sense within the larger story of the Bible. And if they don't, then perhaps we have interpreted the individual passage incorrectly. So I want to pause and I want to think about the entire story that the Bible is telling and how it is leading to this moment with Mary. So let's start at the beginning. You know, Genesis tells us not so much about when the universe was created, but about the purpose behind its functions. You go to Genesis as like a science book or like a history book, and you will likely find yourself... Disappointed, or you'll likely find yourself even confused. But you come to Genesis and you ask the question, what is this saying about what it means to be human? What is this saying about who God is? What is this saying about how to interact with the created order? And you will find some answers. Humans, we find out the purpose of humans because humans begin in a garden of personal responsibility. Personal responsibility, hugely important. It's a place, the Garden of Eden is a place where What you choose brings about a reality. So you agree with God, you walk in the cool of the day with God, you say yes to God, and what do you get? You get Eden expanding. Or you agree with the serpent, or you agree with lack. We don't have this, we need this. And you all know the story. Genesis 3 comes, right? This story tells us So many things, but it tells us about what it means to be human. It reveals the authority that humans have on earth. If you're wondering what kind of authority do humans have, read Genesis 1 again. Read Genesis 2 again. And what we find is that God isn't thinking, you know, The garden, that whole story, it went so poorly. So I'm just gonna be a deterministic God from this point forward because humans showed they really can't handle uh, authority. So I'm just gonna take it all back and I'm just gonna save the world. I'll redeem it because I made it. No, that's not the story of Genesis. In fact, Genesis chapter three proves it. The solution to what is wrong with humans will come through a human who chooses correctly. When the scripture prophesies in Genesis chapter three, verse 15, it prophesies of a seed of woman, there's going to be a human who comes, who's born of a woman, and who will crush that serpent's head. So, you, you know, you, you, you read that and you go, oh, wow, who is that going to be? That sounds like Jesus, right? Why did Jesus come? He came to kill sin and death, to crush it, right? But have you ever paused to ask, well, why was that needed or why was that so important, killing sin and death? what, what Why? You're like, isn't it self evident? (laughs) You know, but but, but maybe on a philosophical level, why was that so important? Well, because sin and death are the two things that were absent in Eden. And so Jesus is coming so that he can give humans a second chance at choosing well with the added power of his Holy Spirit. He so believes in human authority that he would come and give us authority again, (laughs) and say, now you have an opportunity at this Eden project again. Now you have another opportunity to make the correct choice. And we see this when Jesus comes on the scene. He starts right off the bat talking about this kingdom. He says, you know, the kingdom of God is this, and the kingdom of God is like this, and the kingdom of God is near, and it's at hand, and, and all of that. Because the goal of Jesus is not simply for you to have sins forgiven. That's where you start. The goal is then to take the intimacy that having your sins forgiven produces, to take that and to then expand Eden again through your yes to him, through your partnership with him. At the end of his time on earth, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. That's an authority transfer. All authority has been given to me, therefore you go. In other words, the authority that Jesus got when he, when he died and when he was resurrected, that authority, he got that we might live in Eden again. That's the story that the Bible is telling. Now here's a little bit of a summation of the themes because I can see some of your eyes glazing over. So here's a a summation, okay? The first is this. From the Genesis story, what we learn about the purpose of humans in relationship with God is that God is interested in the variable. He is curious in what humans will choose. So anybody who's ever had a child knows that this is the way that life works, okay? Okay? Or if you've had multiple children, you know with each child, there's a new variable. It's pure potential. You have no idea what your life is going to be like before that child comes, but it's going to be different because they're going to bring their will. They're going to bring their authority even, their imago de authority into your home, and they're going to make different choices than you would have likely made had they not been in your life. They are pure variable, and God represents, he shows us in Genesis chapter one that he's interested in the variable. That's why he creates humans. What will they do? How will they choose? How will we partner? Secondly, we learn that God is interested in partnership that is freely chosen, not coerced. He puts a tree in the garden that He says, "Hey, don't choose this tree." In other words, He puts He puts choice in the garden. It's not like the garden is void of choice. He actually infuses the garden with choice. He's interested in humans that not just, aren't just robots that follow him and do whatever he wants them to do. He's interested in humans that freely choose of their own volition to partner with him. Beautiful thing. Third thing that we learn is this. The story of God is one of empowering people through relationship for the flourishing of God's world. In other words, there's something to do. <laughs> when you think about your life, you're like, all I do is I go to this job and I do these boring tasks. And oh, No, you don't you are participating in the reordering of a chaotic world. You are participating by your yes to Jesus and reordering relationships between humans and God, material that is broken and God and his purposes, creating beauty. You you need to think about what your intention was, what his intention in your life was. So, So then the rest of the Bible, man, we learn from Abraham to Joshua from David to Ezekiel, that partnership with God is a life of wrestling with God, hearing from him, discerning him, feeling absences of him and going, where are you, how are you leading me in this time of of silence, where are you taking me in this moment, so that we can make choices because of him, we can make choices where we give our yes to him and we see the kingdom come as a result. And all of those stories throughout the entire Bible, the entire reading of Scripture, all point to what Mary understood. There is a yes required to walk with God. There is a correct response to God's activity in our world. So here's where I want to land this morning. I want to talk about your life and his voice. Your life and his voice. I want to say this. Your life was designed to be close to his voice. You were, you were created by voice, and you were designed to live by voice. Jesus actually even reminds us of this in Matthew 4. Next slide. Here we go. Oh, do we not have it? Let me read it. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every what? Word that comes from the mouth of the Father. Man does not live on bread alone. Jesus is giving us an insight into how you live. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. It's his word that sustains us. If you're looking at your life and you're going, I just feel like I'm de- you know, I've been deconstructing everything, I'm miserable, I'm depressed, I have all this anxiety, there is a question at some point, at some point in all of it, to ask. When was the last time I heard from him? When was the last time I actually felt his voice, not in even, even in a general sense, but in a specific sense about my life and about my circumstances? And I suppose the simplicity of this message is, is this. The, I want to say the greatest things that will happen to you will be a result of his voice in your life. The greatest things that happen in your life will be a result of his voice in your life. So, so I, want, I know that this is a temptation. Do not settle for a life that is absent of the voice of God. Christians, do not settle for a life that is absent of the voice of God. In many ways, you know, I think this is the core. If you're like, what's the core conviction of St. Sil? It's this. Your, your, your lives, the, the, those of you who I've done life with and church with for four years now, your lives and the convictions that you've developed here over the past four years all point to the fact that this church will not settle for less than his direct involvement in our lives. We will not settle for less than his direct involvement in our lives. I don't want to go long periods of time unable to discern the activity of God in my life. Even if it means I'm waiting. I've been in a season similar to this recently. Even if it means that God just says, "Hey, you're just waiting and you're learning something in the waiting." Hey, as long as I have that that word over this season of life, I'm good. I can wait. I can be in the mystery. That's totally fine. I just want to know what you're up to. I want to discern what you're up to. And if I can't discern it on my own, then I need people around me, prophetic people around me, who can point me towards trust in God, point me towards the word of God, point me towards the voice of God in my life, because man does not live by bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. I need it. I need his voice in my life. I have this conviction. I am not satisfied to live a life that isn't led by your voice and presence. I want to give you that conviction this morning. You know, all of the Bible, if you read from cover to cover, And if you were to sum all of the Bible up, what is the main point of the Bible? What's the main message of the Bible? And it's this, trust God. That's what it is. It's trust God. It's here's stories about people who trusted God and some who didn't trust God and how that went. It's about whole nations that don't trust God and how that goes and their return and beginning to trust God again. It's about people who get promises from God and they go, I don't know about that can I actually trust you in that? The core stories of the Bible are all stories about God telling humans impossible things. Have you noticed that? They're all about God saying impossible things to humans and just seeing what happens. It's like God is running an experiment with every single human on the face of the earth to see how much they can handle, how much mystery, how much trust they can handle. He's like, oh, that's who I'm gonna bless. That's who I'm gonna pour myself out on. You know, have you ever thought like, Have you ever thought that maybe God went to other people other than Abraham and they just didn't trust him? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He became the father of faith through his belief. I don't know. You know, Abraham gets this promise of Isaac impossible. Moses gets this promise of deliverance. You don't understand Pharaoh, God. Gideon gets this promise of being mighty while he's hiding. And Mary gets the promise of God in her womb. God is interested in taking humans on a trust journey because trust is the best way to live as a human. In fact, I would actually say trust is the only way to live as a human. You try to live any other way and you will find yourself miserable. You try to live an evidence-based life. I'm gonna be somebody who's scientific. I'm gonna just believe in the evidence and you will find yourself going mad with competing arguments about the latest findings. You try to live in control. I'm gonna manage all of the the bits of my life to try to bring about order. And watch how you never feel secure. There's always a low level of anxiety. You try to live with certainty. You worship certainty. You try to, to, I'm gonna be certain about this and I'm gonna build my life on this this certainty. And watch as you always feel a sense that maybe you're not really totally seeing things correctly. But you live in trust. You make that difficult choice, I'm gonna trust you. What What other choice? It's like the disciples. Who else do we have to go to? I'm gonna trust you. You live in trust and watch as you navigate life with supernatural peace. When things are not in your control or you don't fully understand life or you're living in a gray area, watch the peace that comes when you just make the simple choice. I can't control this. I don't understand this. There's no certainty that explains this. I have to just trust you. And when you do that, watch as trust becomes the context for impossible things to happen. Christians, you were designed to live impossible lives. You were designed to see the impossible in your life. You should never wonder when people come to you with impossible situations, with incredible difficulty. As a Christian, you shouldn't wonder why that is. You should go, this makes sense. They're looking for a solution. And God has placed me here as a bridge between heaven and earth to bring heavenly solutions to earthly problems. Trust becomes the context for the impossible thing to happen. See, all of God's words, all of his voice, all the things that he says are seed looking for a trusting yes to be planted in. There's seed. You guys remember the parable of the sower, I would imagine. It's a parable about the voice of God. A sower goes out and sows his seed, right? And it's seeds of the kingdom, okay? And they produce, uh, you know, different crops depending on the kind of soil that they find, Right? Well, in the parable, it is God's voice that is represented by the seed. Now, this is on purpose. It tells us something about God's voice. It tells us something about the purpose of God's voice and and the nature of God's voice in our lives. Because just think about a seed for a moment. Think about a seed. Think about a, um, I don't know, pick your favorite seed. Think about it. Every seed, I I know you all have your favorite seed in mind right now. Uh, Every seed in the universe carries within it the ability to produce life. You know, it's, it's amazing. The more I think about seed, the more I'm amazed. It's like this little piece of matter that just when you give it the right context, it explodes with life. This little thing that if we threw it on this floor, nothing would happen, but you put it in the right context, and it explodes with life, and that's because every seed carries with it, within it, the ability to produce life. You know, think about it. A a, a seed has the ability within it to produce a single tree, let's say. And that tree is, I don't know, just this is probably not right. But that tree is going to produce a thousand more seeds, right? Okay, so it produces a thousand more seeds. And all of those seeds are gonna produce a thousand trees that have a thousand more trees inside of them. You get the picture. In a seed is a forest. A single seed is a forest. Within the seed there is ability. Now remember what's being said. God's voice is seed. (laughs) Whoa. God's voice is seed. Now, we actually see this on display in the passage that we have before us uh, with Mary. I want to draw your attention to verse 37. Look back at verse 37. After all of these amazing declarations have been made, you know, it's like the angel gets carried away with his prophecy. He's like, and you're going to get a child, and you're going to get a child, and your cousin's even going to get a child. It's like, whoa. A lot of children being handed out. Uh, he says this in verse 37, he says, for no word from God will ever fail. What a promise. For no word from God will ever fail. Now, some translations, maybe even some of you in the room, you have this in your translations. Uh, it says this, you will be found with child, and then it says, nothing is impossible with God. But then in my translation, it says, no word of God will ever fail. So which is it? Who has the right translation? <laughs> where, where are my KJV peeps in the house? We do. We um, Nothing is impossible with God. No word of God will ever fail. How do you square that? Well, the Greek word for word here is the word rhema. How many of you ever heard of the the word rhema before? Charismatics in the house. Um, Charismatics, we got got a lot of Greek Greek words that we love. Uh, And rhema is one of them. Rhema has a, f- a range of meaning, and it's a really, it's, a, it's an interesting word. This word rhema can mean thing. It can mean thing. So, you know, when it says here, you know, no thing, no rhema is impossible with God. But rhema also has a range of meaning, of meaning word. So, it's, it's amazing. So, so you could have no thing is impossible for God, or you could also read it and you could say no word from God will ever fail. You, get the, you understand where the two translations come from because rhema means thing and it can also mean word in Greek. So here's what it is. You combine the, 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 the range of meaning together and it's no word of God is ever spoken without the ability for that word to come to pass within it. One more time. No word of God is ever spoken without the ability for that word to come to pass within it because it's a seed. Nothing is impossible with God. <laughs> no word of God will ever fail. His word is seed. And when his word is met with your yes, when he declares something over your life, he says, I'm gonna do this. This is a promise. This is a pr-. You come to the prayer line and you get prayed for and somebody's like, I see this thing, you know, potentially the Lord saying this about you and you're like, that's impossible. No thing with God is impossible. No word of God will ever fail that word is looking for a hospitable environment to be planted in so that it can bear a forest of kingdom fruit. That's what it's looking for. It's looking for a yes like Mary. It's an opportunity to say, when you hear the word of the Lord, when somebody shares something prophetically with you, when you read something from the scriptures and it jumps out and it grabs you, there's an opportunity in that moment to say, I'm burying this deep into my identity. I'm going to put this in my heart so that I live from this seed. I live from this ability that you have. And what am I, going to, I'm, am I going to do? I'm going to trust you. I'm going to do what Abraham did. I'm going to do what Moses did. I'm going to do what Gideon did. I'm going to do what Mary did. And I'm going to give you a yes that you can inhabit. Nothing is impossible with God. No word will ever fail. It is the voice of God. Here's the the summation of this message. It is the voice of God in collusion with your agreement in faith that gives birth to the kingdom. It's the voice of God. This is why we can't live without voice. We need his voice. Don't settle for less. It is the voice of God in collusion with your agreement. Okay, yes. In faith, I'll trust you, that gives birth to the kingdom. Uh, to end, I want to I read a, a really cool story. This just, I've cried now twice reading this story um, from a couple in our church uh, who recently lived this message. <laughs> I was given this passage, and I, um, to be honest, didn't get started on it until Thursday. And Thursday, I, I was like, I was in the office with Becky and, uh, and with Lexi, and I'm like, I don't even know what the heck I'm going to talk about. All of a sudden, ding, I get this email. And it's a testimony. It's actually a testimony that happened back in the spring, but it took a little while to, to make it to me. Um, and it's a testimony about somebody who has lived this story. And I thought, this is just perfect. I'm just going to read this, and this is gonna, we're going to do some ministry after this. So um, L- Laura and Justin Meyer sent this to me this week. And so sit back if you need to, close your eyes and listen. Uh, I'm going to read it to you. So This is from uh, Laura. Laura wrote this. She says this. We had been praying about growing our family for some time and planned to start in April 2020. We had no idea a global pandemic was about to kick off at the same time. Justin and I talked and prayed at length about what to do. We were so ready to grow our family, but decided we should wait and get a sense of what was happening with the pandemic. We were also living in downtown Portland at the time, and things around us were, well, crazy. Unexpectedly, during the summer of 2020, Justin felt God lay something else entirely on his heart. He shared with me a calling to Newburgh, and I was in full support. We ended up trying to get pregnant at the end of, summer, of the summer of 2020, and our prayers were answered. We got pregnant right away. But sadly, we experienced a loss very early on. Meanwhile, we had closed on a house and we were moving to Newburgh. When we moved, we were pregnant again and expecting a baby June 22, 2021. Our midwifery team was keeping a close eye on the pregnancy. I had an early ultrasound at seven weeks where I got to hear the baby's heartbeat. But then, at my 10-week ultrasound, the week before Thanksgiving, I got devastating news. There was no longer a heartbeat. On the first page of my 2021 journal, in response to the prompt, What's One Beautiful Thing About the Place You Live? I wrote, The Community and Relationships That Are Growing Here. There's Something Special About Newburgh. On January 17th, 2021, during worship, at the end of the message, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to go to the front of the sanctuary to meet with a member of the prayer team. I'd never gone down to receive prayer before. I felt my heart pounding. I knew I was being called, but for some reason, I just could not get my feet to move. After church, I talked to Justin, and together we prayed about the fear that held me back. The very next week, January 24th, 2021, during worship, I felt the call again. I clearly heard God ask me, are you going to miss out on what I have for you again? I couldn't tell you why I felt it was appropriate to negotiate with God at that moment, but I thought in response, okay, if Ashley, my friend, goes, I'll go. That exact moment in my peripheral vision, I saw Ashley stop worshiping, say something to her husband, and then she walked out of the aisle. My first thought was, well, maybe she went to the bathroom. <laughs> God patiently nudged me again, and I knew it was time to go. We'd been sitting upstairs in the balcony at Northside, and I had a very clear sense of who I was supposed to go down and get prayer from. When I got down to the front, Ashley was being prayed over the, the exact same person. When it was my, my turn, the first thing Lizette, shout out Lizette, the first thing Lizette did was ask the Lord what words he had for me. When she started to pray, she referenced the potter, the clay, and water. Before the clay is put into a fire, the imperfections are, all, are washed away, all of them. She said that everything in the process, the things I've carried and felt define me, my marks of imperfection, were washed away before the clay was put into the fire. She specifically said, no past relationship, not my family, not a job. Uh, these things are washed away with water by the hands of God. I am the clay that he desires, he has planned for, and molded. Lizette asked for God's voice to be louder, for his truth to be all that I hear. She reminded me that Jesus is with me, and he's closer than I think. I would later find out that Lizette had prayed for healing for Ashley's severe endometriosis. She had also had a prophetic word uh, that she spoke over Ashley, referencing John the Baptist and Jesus being carried by, in their mother's wombs at the same time. Ashley's body was completely healed. That's awesome. Uh, And with her next cycle, they were pregnant. After all this, my faith was on fire. Come on. And we were in hopeful anticipation of what God had in store for for our family. As soon as we had the go-ahead, we started trying to get pregnant again. We were working with my naturopath and other practitioners she referred us to. We did everything they recommended, but my body was not getting completely back to normal. I was discouraged, and it felt like everyone around me was getting pregnant. I was so happy for Ashley and inspired by the healing God had done in her. But our season of waiting felt long and had many ups and downs. Together our families continued to pray into the word we had received and ask God to heal me and to bring another baby into our family. On July 18th, 2021, during the beginning of worship, God was moving in me. I was thankful for a, <laughs> this is awesome. I was thankful for mass that night because I was a mess. <laughs> During the four-minute break, I darted out of the sanctuary and ran to the bathroom to collect myself. When I got back, right as the service was about to start, I felt someone touch my arm. I looked over, and Nicole Mosier, who I'd never met before, said she was on the prayer team, and she had a word for me. Thank you, Nicole. Uh, she asked me to come down to pray with her after the service. Alex preached on surrender, go figure, and I was, I was leveled. Through the message, God revealed to me that I was still holding on to the desire to control the process of, a grow, of growing our family. I thought that I had laid this before him, but he had more to ask of me in this journey before his plan would be fulfilled. I went straight to the front after the message and said to Nicole, we better sit down. I'm probably going to fall apart. <laughs> Afterward, I asked God what genuine surrender to him meant for me at this moment. I then sensed God, this is crazy, I then sensed God asked me to give all of my maternity clothes to Ashley. I fell apart. I had held on to them because I was so sure God was going to fulfill his promise to us. I felt like I was acting in faith, but what Alex's message revealed to me was that I was expecting God to do what he promised now rather than waiting on and trusting in him. That week, I dropped all of my maternity clothes off on Ashley's doorstep. Tears flowed as I left, and I will never forget the physical feeling of chains being broken off me as I drove away. Um on July 28th, 2021, we found out we were pregnant. <laughs> at first I was elated, but then just a few weeks after finding out, we had a couple serious scares. That's when the fear set in. After all we'd been through, I was terrified we'd lose this baby too. On August 29th, 2021, we saw Nicole at church for the first time since finding out we were pregnant. We had the opportunity to share the news, our news during the 4-minute break and she was ecstatic. She dropped to her knees, very Nicole, afterward and prayed. <laughs> After the service, she asked us if she could pray with us and share a couple of verses God had given uh, her for us, Job 33, 4, and Colossians 1.17. We interpreted Coloss- Colossians 1:17 as a clear reminder that he alone would hold my uterine lining in place, supporting and sustaining the life he breathed into existence, referencing Job 33, verse 4. The verses Nicole shared with us were exactly what we needed to hear. They reminded us of his provision and his plan. In the fall, I was in the Gospels in my devotions, and in early October, I read Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to tell Mary that she would become pregnant with Jesus. I immediately texted Ashley and asked her how far along she'd been when we got pregnant. Ashley was five months pregnant when we conceived our daughter, about six months along when we found out. (laughs) That's crazy. In my devotion that morning, God showed me that he's in the details. He didn't just give us a word about being pregnant at the same time. He waited to reveal the exact timing of the pregnancies in the Bible to when he knew I would need to hear it and know that the baby I'm carrying is the answer to his promise. That morning, I traded fear for freedom. This pregnancy has been an answer to prayer in every way, a precious journey. Our baby girl, Maggie Rose Mary, was born April thirteenth, 2022. It's amazing. So... Awesome. It's so so powerful because he still does it. He still takes the things that we're afraid of, and he calls us into the impossible, and then he proves himself faithful. He still does it. You know, I just read that. I'm like, oh, (laughs) You you still bring freedom. You still do it there's many there 's uh, i think of two other couples uh, specifically from our church that have had incredible difficulty getting pregnant that are either pregnant, one of them' pregnant with twins or have had a child and when they they shouldn 't have and it's just it 's god 's kindness it 's an amazing thing I believe that he 's going to continue to do that through this church. It's, it's actually, you know, it's so funny. I told Laura this week, I said, it's one of the first things we ever prayed for for this church. I remember we had uh, our first monthly gathering over at Fox and EHS in one of the science classrooms. And I remember there being a strong sense that night that this would be a church where people who have difficulty getting pregnant would come and God would move and he would bring about children as, as a result. And we've prayed that ever since. I know there's even, I know there's even some of you in this room that you're, you're here and you're, you hear that story and you're like, I want that to be true for me. I want it to be true so bad. And I just want to encourage you, keep on asking, keep on praying. Take her testimony. You know, it says in the scriptures that God's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't play favorites. And what he did for one child, he'll do for another. Simply ask. So my hope for our church is stories like that, that we would be a people who are visited by God through the angelic, through dreams, through the normal, through the moving of the spirit, through the prophetic, all so that we would increase interest, and we would develop a yes to God like Mary. Let's stand. I want to pray for you. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the app store, or visit our website.